So welcome to the Project Plenty podcast series where we ask the question, what will 2030 look like? And we'll ask that question across a range of topics important to Queensland and to our church. It's a series of conversations that will help us enter into a whole of church discernment and planning exercise that we hope might give shape to our life in the next decade. Over the course of this series, we'll invite our guests to reflect on this question, what 2030 looks like from their perspective and ask what role the Uniting Church could play as this future approaches. My name's Scott Guyatt, and I'm glad that you can join us. So joining me today, Vicky Lorimer. Vicky's part of the faculty at Trinity College, Queensland, where she lectures in systematic theology. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yes. That's right. Uh, but has a really fascinating background. Undergrad studies in genetics and biochem, working in government, but also in private research. Um, and then transferring over to theology and um, studying in this area of theology and science and what it means to be human. Uh, we're going to get into some of that today. Vicky, it's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Scott. Uh, so I'm quite fascinated by the uh, story of Jamie Summers, the professional tennis player injured in a parachuting accident, rebuilt with bionic implants and turned into a secret agent. Um, I don't know if you know her story. I do not. <laughs> this, is, this is a TV show from the 1970s called The Bionic Woman, oh, uh, right. which followed on from The Six Million Dollar Man, who was a, yeah. a NASA test astronaut, same kind of yeah. thing. Um, I, I just wonder how much that's a foretelling of the future. You know, 70s style, so they were, yeah. their legs were replaced, super strong, um, arms, you know, eyes, um, these bionic eyes that could see great distances and... Yeah. See, I'm old enough that that's what I grew up watching on television. <laughs> oh, and there's plenty of contemporary examples as well. I think yeah, yeah. you know, there's a it's pretty hard to disentangle science fiction yeah, from yeah. real possibilities. And actually, there's there's a relationship between them. So yeah, a lot yeah. of the people who are designing technologies grew up fueled and fed by science fiction, yeah. and that's really formed their imagination. And and you know, there are a lot of ideas that have first been touted in, in a fictional form and then yeah. eventually have inspired real scientific research. What, what so. are the, well, I mean, I'm thinking about movies like Avatar, you know, of, a, of the main character, a disabled guy piloting remotely this kind of body or um, what was the series I watched on Netflix last year? Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it now, but they essentially the human character is distilled to something that can be installed on a chip and then transferred from body to body to body. Right, um, yeah. Altered carbon, I think it was called. Okay. So it's, the notion was that the, that humanity is separate from our body, and you know we shed our body like a snake sheds its skin, and they can. Yeah. The human is saved on this chip, which can be transferred from one body to another. So if you want to, if you want to be a yeah fifty six year old African American woman, that's fine. You can just put your chip in that body, and off you go. Yeah, and even that, um, you know, that's got a long heritage as well. I mean, cyberpunk is kind of all based on that idea of. You know, the physical body is just kind of the the limitation. They'll talk about their meat body or something yeah, like yeah. that and it's something to be overcome and discarded and replaced and upgraded. Yeah. So, well, we might come back to that. I'm, yeah. I'm quite interested in that. But let's let's start by thinking a little bit about theology and science. And you obviously you've done a lot of work in science, in study and then work in genetics and biochem and policy and research and all sorts of things. I know you're a theologian. <laughs> How does science and theology kind of relate? I mean, the popular thing is that science and theology are opposed to one another or distinct or 
Yeah, what's when the, people ask, you know, when people yeah, hear yeah. that I do science and theology, they're often curious. Um, and I think certainly there is the perception that they're opposed. Uh, science and theology are often portrayed as, as being at war with one another, uh, often around particular debates like the origins of humanity. Uh, there's actually another school of thought as well that takes an opposite view and says that, well, really they have nothing to say to each other because they're yeah. in entirely separate spheres. And yeah. that's the kind of view that you know, science will tell us the how questions, whereas theology will answer the why questions and think more about deeper meaning and purpose. So quite different views about the relationship there. Mm. And I'd, I'd actually disagree with both of these um, and okay. say that even though science and theology definitely have their own distinct methods and approaches uh, and focuses, uh, and sometimes they do bring up questions and, and frictions when they're brought together, uh, they can inform each other and, and it is important that we do bring them into yeah. conversation with one another. Because some of the insights that science offers us about ourselves, about the way the world seems to work, these are the things, insights that drive our theological questions as well, help us ask interesting questions. Can it go the other not. way? Can theology inform, not, not inform, drive questions that science can Absolutely. Kind of um, dig into? A theological perspective can guide our priorities when it comes to scientific research. It can guide the way we interpret results, apply results, um, especially thinking through the ethical implications. Uh, I like to think of theology and faith as, as a lens through which we understand reality and actually yeah, scientific yeah. insights might make sense. Yeah within that lens, even if they don't necessarily prove the lens itself. So, uh, yeah, I think together we can we can bring science and theology into conversation and they each inform one another. It's not a one-way relationship. What, what was the transition like for you to go from being a professional scientist to a professional theologian? I mean, does that how much do those both of those things still play out for you personally? Well, I was actually driven into theology because I was working sort of in the lab and, and doing the, the minute of a, of a scientific profession and I felt like there wasn't the room to think about the bigger questions mm. in that space okay. and um, often the way scientists are trained, unfortunately, uh, they're not given the bigger picture and understanding how scientific knowledge develops, how it's limited, yeah, kind of okay. what its historical trajectory is, where its yeah. blind spots are. So actually stepping out of the sciences and into humanities gave me that wider lens. So I'm still very much kind of interested, excited by yeah, yeah. You know, the possibilities thrown up by science and yeah. by new developments. But I think being able to think of them from a theological perspective uh, is just much richer for me. So. So your, your um, PhD research in, in theology seems to have dug into a couple of areas, one that we might call transhumanism or human technological enhancement, the other we might come to a bit later on. But mm -hmm. let's start with some definitions. So like this word transhumanism, I like to kind of bandy it around, but I don't even know if I know what it really means. What, sure. what are we talking about? Yeah, well, actually, let's start with human enhancement because okay. that's, I guess, the broader concept which transhumanism then fits within. So if we're talking about um, human technological enhancement, we're usually, you know, as it sounds, talking about using technology to enhance human capabilities. So this is the bionic woman? Yeah, kind of... yeah. So it could be physical, it could be cognitive, okay. moral, even spiritual, oh, um, okay. all kinds of aspects okay. of, of sort of human abilities 
and capacities, looking at enhancing those with technology. So often we, um, we use the acronym GRIN to summarise the types of technologies involved. So that stands for genetics, robotics, information and nanotechnology. It's an that. acronym that keeps okay. changing, so yeah, there'll yeah. probably be a new one in a while. But So, um, so let me just go sideways for a minute. I've, I have heard that some of the DIY kind of people around this are called grinders. Is that Does that come from that... People who are who are hacking their own bodies in a sense. Does that word yeah, grinders come from that? I hadn't that thought of that, but acronym grin maybe. It, it could maybe possibly. Not. It would make sense, anyway. but yeah, I'd have to check that. Um, but where transhumanism is a bit different, it's really the pointy end of of kind of advocating for that type of technological enhancement. So okay. it's it's actually referring more to a philosophical movement oh, okay. that, that underlies okay. um, that sort of promotion and and. Yeah, um, yeah embracing of, of human enhancement technologies and looking for almost a um, determinative strategy to use these technologies to improve the overall human condition. So there is some overlap yeah, yeah. Uh, when we're talking about the terms, but transhumanism we'd put at the more extreme end yeah. of that conversation. So are these, things are these things happening now? Is this, is this kind of real world, real life experience for you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk, you talk about grinders. I mean, there are uh, people who are sort of embedding magnets in their fingers to give kind of a, a sixth, sixth sense, sense or something, and be yeah, able okay. to sense magnetic fields. Uh, you I know, can't people quite imagine what that must feel like. Though, yeah. Have you I got mean, magnets in your fingers? I do not. Oh, okay. But you can listen to interviews for people who do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people have um, also embedded um, magnets in in the back of their ears, and then okay. you can kind of have your earbuds with you all the time and, yeah, and listen yeah, to music yeah. and that kind okay. of thing. You can put chips in your fingers, things yeah. that verify your ID or that kind of the, thing. These so kind of seem like trivial yeah. kinds of things at this stage. Is that is that just because that's where we're at and that's what people are experimenting with? I think so and I think it's, it's very much a – seems to me a movement of expressing individuality and being able to kind of modify yeah. yourselves in kind of cool but not drastic ways. Yeah, okay. um, so if, if – we, we're embedded to smartphones, you know, people wear glasses, contact lenses, those kinds of things. Are those like the forerunners of, you know, what might in, in the end be actually physically enhanced, physically enhancing our bodies and, you know, inserting those things, in, embedding chips in our brains that let us do the things that mobile phones can do at the moment? Yeah, I think it's really hard, again, to distinguish between what we're already doing and what future possibilities are because, you know, those examples are just really illustrating the fact that we've always looked to technology yeah. in some form to improve ourselves. Like it's yeah. not a new thing. It's just yeah, something true. that we do as humans, you know, from the very earliest kind of recorded uh, events. We know that we modify our environments to yeah. improve our circumstances and whether a technology is actually something that's physically embedded within the body or something that's external to us, it might still be you know, performing the same function yeah. and you know, people seem to be often as, as unwilling or unable to disengage from an external device yes. as if it yes. were implanted. So, uh, you know, yes. I think sometimes the distinction breaks down in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we start to distinguish between um, kind of therapeutic technology like, you know, glasses or, um, you know, lens replacements in our eyes or those sorts of things and, you know, and the kind of enhancements that, that we're talking about? Mm. Again, it's actually often a both and. So, you know, 
we think of therapy as usually it's restoring some kind of function that's, that's lacking. Yeah. Uh, we're returning someone to a normal functionality or capacity. Uh, but very often it doesn't just return to what we might call normal, but yeah. actually uh, would give some kind of advantage. Uh, for example, you know, prosthetic limbs would be an example. Yeah. So, you know, we're actually getting pretty close to the point, I think, where people can actually run faster with a prosthetic leg than with two normal human legs. Yeah, okay. So, you know, this is one case where it is it's certainly a, a therapy, yeah. but it's providing an advantage that goes beyond what we yeah. think of as a normal human capacity. Uh, other examples would be uh, things like using uh, certain pharmaceuticals to treat attention disorders, uh, you know, Ritalin yeah, or Modafinil. Okay. People who have these attention disorders need these drugs to to function yeah. normally and to have a normal attention span and level but actually people who don't have these disorders are also taking the same substances yeah. as a study aid as, as yeah. something that will increase their concentration so yeah. uh, very often that again there's no neat distinction between therapy and enhancement that makes things very, I mean it feels like it makes things very complicated but then I think about sports and you know one of my favorite sports is cycling and the use of mm. um, chemically enhanced chemical enhancements to kind of increase performance in sport is a well documented yeah well -known thing. we tend to look uh, for whatever edge we can have yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah. what what are the kind of ethical issues that pop up when we start to get into and maybe maybe when we start again to get into the more extreme kind of examples here or as we press forward to go to kind of a post or beyond natural capability kind mm. of thing? Um. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the language is around like, well, maybe we're changing what it means to be human. And uh, again, it's worth bearing in mind that it seems fundamentally human to use technology. So yeah, we've okay. always um, been creative. We've manipulated our environment to improve our circumstances. Yeah, you know, yeah. historically, if we just yeah. think about things like agriculture or engineering or yeah. even gardening or yeah. you know cultivation, these kinds of things are kind of primitive technologies. Um, I think if we want to look at the ethics, it helps to think more broadly about what it means to be human as really caught between sort of two different poles of existence. So. On the one hand, we're finite, we're creatures, we're governed by the limitations of, of that finitude. So basically we're not God. But um, on the other hand, we've got this- Damn in, it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But we have this inbuilt sort of longing for more, this kind of yeah. reaching for transcendence. Theologians talk, have talked about this a lot. Uh, some theological traditions talk about the idea of deification. So this sort of transforming process where we become more like God. So we're kind of caught between these two poles yeah. and, you know, it leads us a bit of an uneasy tension at times. And I think the ethical concerns might really come in when we lose sight of that balance. And okay. if we no longer recognise the bounds of, of creaturehood and finitude and, you know, these are good things, they're important aspects yeah. of our created being. They're what separates us from God. Um, and if we only focus on the tr transcendent side of things, then we may kind of lose our focus and, yeah. and start heading in a direction we don't want to go down. So we have to remember that even though I believe we're invited by God to participate in, in the ongoing work of creation and, and of redemption, God is ultimately the one who brings that about, not us. So I think the ethical concerns come in when we kind of conceive of our own place in things very differently. Yeah. How far will be too far? 
I mean, from where you sit, you know, and from what you know, and you you would know a lot more about the kinds of questions we're exploring than than I do. But I mean, is there, you know, is there a point of there's some there are some scientists who talk about today's children. My children, my youngest is twelve years old. You know, if money is no object for her, essentially having the possibility in her life to live an extraordinarily long lifespan, you know, by applying these kinds of technologies to her body and her mind and, mm. you know, maybe she'll be able to live to be 200 or 300 years old by the time she reaches that age. Yeah. Is that too far? I mean, it's like is – how? Do, this is the question I guess that, you know, where theology and science in this topic are going to have some things to say to each other. Yeah, and I would be really reluctant to try and draw a hard line anywhere yeah, okay. because I think that kind of takes a – a rule-based approach, yeah. which which doesn't make sense to me in the, in the way that we should do our ethical deliberation and, and reflection. So I think uh, every kind of new proposal needs to be treated as yeah. as an ethical yeah. question. You know, it needs to be um, subject to discernment in the same way any kind of ethical question does. It's not an entirely okay separate, you know, walled off area of human activity. Yeah. But I think like all things that we engage in, whether that's politics or economics or, you know, what we're doing in the workplace, yeah. you know, human enhancement proposals are ethical questions like anything else. How, how, do, how do we in the church kind of participate in this conversation? You know, what, what can, I mean, what can we, what can theology generally or the Uniting Church specifically have to kind of say to our wider society and or how do we be a part of this conversation? Um, yeah, I think we generally have a very important story about what it means to be human, about the worth and the dignity of, of every created being. Uh, I think we continue to witness to that truth and in these conversations where, um, we're questioning the motives and the ends to which these technologies might be employed. Yeah. So I think uh, the church has a place as a powerful witness and, and hopefully uh, if we are engaging with uh, transhumanism and, and the more extreme forms, which actually have very imaginative, compelling stories as well and visions of the human future, like there's a reason why... There's, there's that overlap with science yeah. fiction and, and why this is it's kind of so... Of no, and it's, yeah. it's really caught on in public, yeah, yeah. in popular culture because, you know, people love these kind of visions and they're, yeah, yeah. they're broad-ranging and they capture the imagination. So yeah. I think it is important as a church and as theologians and, and Christians to meet that vision with an equally imaginative vision so in some ways there's an opportunity because a lot of the the language that transhumanists are using is traditionally religious imagery so talking about becoming more like god or you know angels or uh, transcendence and this kind of language has kind of been lacking from from a more sort of rational scientific secular culture for a long time so actually you know there is an opportunity i think for Christians, for um, Christian artists and writers and theologians to recapture and reclaim some of that language um, in meeting these sort of techno visions of the future with an equally imaginative and compelling vision of what we think the Christian hope is for redemption. So So we we don't have to take a position of kind of anti or against or, you know, just 
kind of this is all bad or evil or something, we can actually be kind of part of the conversation here. Yeah, um, I think we can uh, we can take a stance that is not sort of a knee-jerk, yeah, pessimistic, yeah. Um, you know, drawing a box around these kinds of activities and, and walling them off as playing God and saying that they're kind of beyond, you know, something we can't even have a conversation with. Yeah. If we can take a stance that says that humans are creative and... Uh, imaginative and these seem to be capacities that are built into our human being we've actually been created with them and we're called to exercise them well then uh, maybe there is a place for some of this stuff but we want to be making sure that we're situating it in a conversation where we're attending to well is this actually serving sort of kingdom ends rather than sort of self-interest which a lot of the they can tend to otherwise um let me let me ask you for you know based on on what you know and on you know what you've learned and, and understand. Um, this is a question we're asking everyone in this podcast series. In, you know, by the time we get to 2030, 10, 11, 12 years down the track, yeah, what's my maths? Eleven years down the track. Where do you think this conversation is going to be in terms of what will be what will be technically capable of, you know, and then what are, what are some of the things that might be looming on the horizon by then? What's going to be normal in 2030? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think our lives will continue to be very entwined with technology. Yeah. Uh, we are, you know, in recent years we've seen um, quite significant advances in gene editing technologies yeah. and I think that will probably be more common in humans. Yeah. But Is I this suspect... a kind of a design-your-own-baby kind of thing are we talking about? Are we talking about treating and responding to disease? Are we... what? Look, I think, I think especially What's... initially it's mainly going to be in terms of treating and responding to okay. diseases. So yeah. this is where research trials are focused on and that kind of thing. Um, and it is worth noting as well that the scientific community is very cautious in this area too. So you know, there was a um, – you may have seen the news story more recently where some scientists in China – did actually... Um, I caught something about that. Yeah, use the new... It's called CRISPR-Cas9 is a particular technology for yeah. uh, very precisely editing genes. Mm-hmm. And they have actually gone ahead and implanted human embryos that they've um, used this technology on. Yeah. And there was an outcry from yeah, the yeah. scientific community because they had agreed um, yeah. as a whole that this would not be um, done until much more testing and, and trials could... What's to stop those kind of rogue actors kind of heading down that path, though? Yeah, that's that's a little frightening, I think. Yeah. I, I think there is a lot of weight in the, um, the scientific community yeah. and the... Um, yeah. the pushback and the career kind of uh, implications and, yeah, yeah. and repercussions of that yeah. kind of behaviour. Um, there are extensive ethics committees surrounding this sort of work which don't just involve scientists, they do involve uh, theologians, ethicists, people from from other kind of areas of of life as well. Is this work going to be led by or driven by military implications or 
with that kind of you know the the idea of the super soldier, the Captain America kind of super strong, super powerful, impervious kind of soldier. Yeah, you, and certainly there is research being done in military contexts for things like uh, how to survive on less sleep and yeah. you know oh, things okay. like that. Again, the intention enhancing so type work things. More, um, uh, you know, the more concerning stuff certainly in that area would be things like how to overcome fear responses or yeah, okay. uh, certain emotional responses, yeah. which you know in a, in a, so a normal soldier, context yeah, kind of it. guard our behaviour and, yeah. you know, yeah, it is. So that's is. actually changing human behaviour as opposed to physical capability. Yeah. Which is often the first thing we might think about. Yep. Um, yeah. In the same token, you know, people are talking about moral enhancement in the sense of, you know, there are certainly pharmaceuticals and, and um, technologies that will perhaps improve or uh, enhance our sociability or reduce aggression or things like that. So, you know, there's a flip side it's to that as well. Yeah, I think – so I think in terms of gene editing, that will be more common in humans, but that's going to be after quite yeah. a long, extensive trial process. Yeah. Uh, and really genetic engineering is actually the slow path to enhancement because, you know, you can only sort of do it at the start of every generation. Like it takes a long time yeah, to, yeah. to bring in change in that kind of way. Yeah. So I actually think we're likely to see more use of pharmaceuticals and sort of technological augmentations and that kind of thing. Yeah. I actually suspect that a lot of the projections will turn out to be quite overblown. So again, in the more extreme forms of uh transhumanism you hear proposals about you know, uploading our brains to yeah, computers yeah. or we're going to hit the singularity where we merge with kind of artificial yep. intelligence and you know who knows what that yep. you know, apocalyptic yes, future yes, will be right. like i mean a lot of these are already being criticized as being a bit more hype and you know yeah, yeah. even a lot of kind of first generation transhumanists which are only you know in recent history anyway yeah. are already kind of settling down from some of those kind of dire predictions and and realizing that you know a lot of this is is not quite as in reach as, as they may have thought to begin with yeah. uh, and i think actually there's there's likely to be pushback as well so even now you know more people are becoming disillusioned and aware that technology can't solve every problem there is more of a movement to disengage where possible and to kind of yeah. protect privacy and to, yeah. to think of the aspects of, of human being that you know, are important yeah. and are being lost by being kind of overly kind of mediated through, through technology. So I think some of the initial enthusiasm is waning in, in certain areas. Uh, in terms of bioethics, though, uh, I think, you know, some of these technologies, they mean that um, a much higher degree of control over reproduction and dying and these aspects of life yeah. is, is probably going to be uh, in place in, in 2030. So really the beginning and ending end of life yeah. kind of And that matters questions. for us, right? Because we run yeah. a lot of hospitals and a lot of age, you know, I mean, Absolutely. apart from the, the theoretical or theological kind of aspect of it for us as an organisation, yeah. this, is, this is front and centre. And obviously we're dealing with the start of that now with, yeah, you know, yeah. talking through voluntary assisted dying and, and these kinds of yeah. measures. So we see that things like reproduction and dying are becoming increasingly medicalised. So I think we might need to reflect more on how that might change the way people view their lives and their circumstances. So that's probably, again, where we come in as a church and the kind of conversations we'll be involved in. Are those the kind of conversations we need to be involved in now as we think 
kind of you know look at where we're heading and where we're likely to be in in 10 or 15 years time what's the what's the stuff we need to pay attention to now yeah, I think we need to pay attention to, to how much control we have um, and are trying to gain over our lives. So, you know, technology can give us a lot of options, but it can also persuade us that we don't need anyone else or, or you know, I guess we don't need God. So it, it can shift our priorities more towards self-interest. Uh, it can close us against surprise, against um, sort of receiving the circumstances of life as they come as a gift. Uh, and we can we can actually fail to recognise the goodness of creation as it is if we're always sort of looking to gain more control and to kind of steer it ourselves. That, I mean, in a sense, you just a couple of minutes ago were pointing to some ways in which people are already starting to do that to kind of you know to step back from the technology or to you know there's a you know a, a regathering of the movement to kind of live locally or live more simply or yeah. you know, eat more eat more natural foods or you know whatever it might be. Yeah, so I, I don't think the answer is sort of blanket exclusions on certain technologies and, or, you know, a refusal to, to engage at all. Uh, but really it's just not losing sight of the bigger picture and continually returning to what is the Christian hope of redemption. It's something that's much greater uh, and it won't be achieved by human enhancement technology. You know, that's not the route to, <laughs> to the so hope that the we answer. have. So it doesn't mean that those things don't have their place and, yep. and that they can't actually be used in good ways, yeah. uh, but we're keeping sight of what is that ultimate yeah. end. Vicky, I, I, I want to come back in 2030 and chat to you again and see <laughs> where, we've <laughs> where we've kind of gotten to and what my t then 22-year-old youngest child will be up to. Yeah, um, she'll be a cyborg by then. Yeah, yeah she probably will. Um, I think, oh no, I won't go into it. <laughs> she's going to end up, that's a question for another day. No um, thanks so much for the chat today. It's, it's been really interesting. Um, lots to think about. Thank you, Scott.